everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and uh, it's another week. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It it really is. It it's, turned uh, out yesterday was terrible. It's not raining so far, which is excellent. So far, it's good. So I'm joined by uh, Scott Melson, as always. What's up, man? Also over on the uh, sports desk, Jonathan Dodson. Boom goes the dynamite. Oh, man. I don't know what's happening here. Um, someone was calling me all of a sudden. Um, boom goes the dynamite. That's exactly right. That's the first time that's been said on the show. I, I think so. I think we should uh, maybe roll with it. We're going to record it. It's going to be a sound effect. Just <laughs> Jonathan. Can be our new uh, can be our intro to Pruitt Watch. Oh, yeah. Um, excuse me. <laughs> boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, how's your week been? Scott, uh, I mean, pretty pretty solid. Um, my basement is flooded. Oh no! Or, well, I mean, it's not. It's I should say it's trying to flood. It's not because I have a pump which has been cycling on and off about every five minutes for the last three weeks. So sump pump. Well, so that's the thing. It functions as a sump pump. It's not technically a sump pump. It's, it's just a shop vac. Well, <laughs> no. It's so it's a liquid transfer pump. It's it's designed to like turn it on. And then run it for like three days and then turn it off mm. as opposed to a sump that's really designed to like cycle on for 30 seconds and then cycle off. Well, why is it cycling? Because I have it connected to a float switch because it's not got a water sensor to like tell it when to turn on. Oh. And so in order to keep my basement from flooding and ruining my washer and dryer and furnace and AC uh, right. unit, yeah. I have a float switch set like in a little kind of like the lowest point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I may... The problem is... I don't really want to like raise it so that there's more water, water let right. in, but I also really don't want the pump to burn out from cycling on and off too much. Why don't you buy That's a water Sophie's sensor? Why don't, you buy a, <laughs> why don't you buy a, a water sensor? Um, those are expensive. Okay. Well, let me know how it turns out when your pump burns out and you have to pay for a new one. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough dilemma. All that to say. I actually really like rainy, cloudy, kind of gloomy weather, but I would like to not have any for like 10 days. Yeah. So that, because usually like before this, the pump had like, it hadn't even gone off in like two years, but like it's been like constant Excessive. for the yeah. last like. Yeah. My mother-in-law had water in her garage as well. And, and then she burned up my, my shop vac trying to vacuum it up. So she bought me a new shop vac and so we're going to go have these. My friend that's uh that's uh, in the process of selling his house, well, it sold his house and his basement has literally never flooded in the f- like four or five years I've lived there. Until right. <laughs> the day they were to close. Yeah. Like, had, like, water in his basement on the day they were supposed to close. Is this our mutual friend? It is. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. They've had a hell of a time. Yeah. All right. Well, that's sad. If only we knew a contractor who does, like, rehabs old buildings or something. Jonathan, do you know anyone like that? No. <laughs> He's like, not, like the, not I. Not my problem. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into the news here. Jonathan, do you know we have sound effects? This is awesome. <laughs> Just like being there. All right, so uh, a little bit different format today. We're going to run through four quick mention-only news stories. The first two are from Oklahoma Watch. Uh, and the first one is, as state government goes more digital, tag agencies endure. I will say as a... As a someone who grew up in another state or states moving here, tag agencies were a weird concept to me. And as it turns out, they are gold mines for those who own them, which probably means the rest of us get hosed, right? Yeah, I mean, so one thing in the article is that last year fi- on uh, fees, uh, Oklahoma's 283 tag agencies last year, uh, guesses on what they connected, collected in fees last year? 
52 million dollars okay it's <laughs> cheating when you read the article andy yeah uh 52 dollars and some change 52 Liter- million 50 yes 52 million and some change um what does that divide out to uh a lot like a more than no uh it would come out to like 150 thousand ish Per agency, but I mean, there's some like some of them are like are class doing, and tag is rolling. Is, yeah, are doing like huge right. amounts of business. The other thing that was like shocking to me is, is so all of their like equipment, their tech that they're used to like print the licenses, do all this stuff. They said it's uh, that each agency, the computers and other like machinery that they use is valued at three point one million dollars. I'm just gonna tell you that the computers <laughs> at my tag agency would not fetch $3.1 million. That's, well, a Commodore 64 is a collector's item these days, <laughs> and so the value has increased. You, like, didn't, you didn't plan on that. Like, my the computers at my tag agency are still, like, DOS, right? Like, when, they have, like, the like the, the green lettering and, like, the right. command prompt. When I, when I first moved here uh, in college and I got my first Oklahoma driver's license, the, it was the old ones, right? Like, it was just laminated, and it was literally the same machine that I used um, in, at my high school to to do our student IDs because um, that was one of my things I was involved in. And so I was like, oh, I used to use this machine in high school like two years ago. I'm glad our whole state is using it. It was They've upgraded, but <clears throat> not far enough. Um, so anyway, you should read that article because it also addresses the whole um, real ID. Real ID. Well, that's really, the, that's really the, the thrust of the article is that like you would think that... The thrust of the article? Okay, we're going to go there. Well, I'm trying not to. Actively, <laughs> actively trying not to. <laughs> the... Just is that better? Barely, okay. just barely. All right. So the point of the article, the thesis, what? all of these thesis, the thesis is safe, that right? Safe zone. Okay. The thesis of the article is that you would you would think, and some people were actually actually very concerned that with real ID compliance coming up for Oklahoma, moving to a digital driver's license, that this is 283 local businesses that are subsidized substantially by the state government um, would then like go under like that there won't be tag agencies anymore and that is like because we don't need them right i mean and like i don't i don't know how many how many employees that a tag agency uh you know yeah several but but, i mean even if it's one that's like 300 jobs right right so uh the other the other the point they make in the article is that even with real id compliance and moving to a digital driver's license there will still be a role for tag agencies in terms of issuing hunting and fishing licenses, yeah. perhaps uh, a registration for vehicles, as well as helping people do a lot of the like paperwork and like registration to get their digital driver's license, mm-hmm. which then will come directly from the state via the mails. And maybe selling cassette tapes. Ooh. Yes, they actually they did they actually mentioned uh they actually mentioned state merchandise as well. So you, uh, the tag agencies will now be two hundred and eighty three official Oklahoma gift shops. Nice. We can get uh, Lieutenant Governor Pinnell on that. I'm sure he's got a plan for helping that. All right, so the other article from Oklahoma Watch is um, a little more salacious, I'll say. Uh, it's entitled, Donations to Lawmakers Keep Flowing Even As They Vote on Bills. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, so lobbyists are not technically allowed to give donations to individual members of the legislature during session. Yes. However, um, they... PACs, like political action committees, can donate. Or individuals. And just private individuals. Who are not lobbyists. Not lobbyists, right. So, like, so like you could own a lobbying firm, right? You could employ a dozen lobbyists, but then you, as just a concerned citizen that's probably very wealthy, decides to give someone $2,700, which is the maximum allowed by law. That's totally legal. And that's what's happening. It's private individuals and PACs can give gobs of money. And so it's like, 
the Oklahoma Watch, you know, pulled the ethics reports and clearly organizations, uh, PACs and some individuals are giving money to lawmakers, you know, like, oh, the day before or after they vote on a bill that pertains to their area of interest, which seems unethical. Yeah, so this came up specifically in the context of, uh, I think, SB 608, yeah. 608, right? the, the alcohol, kind of more alcohol reforms. Did that pass this week? I think so. Or be signed? I don't I know if it's signed yet, but I'm pretty sure it passed both yeah. houses. All right. Um, the last two, uh, News OK, as one called Oklahoma Conservative Group Challenges Medicaid Expansion Petition. Again, self-explanatory title, but if you're following the Medicaid expansion saga, for those playing the home game, who do you think the conservative group is? Anyone? Well, Anyone? I know. It's not the Oklahoma Council on Public Affairs, is it? It is OCPA. Uh, no, not those guys. I will say um, I was at the Capitol today for Generation Citizen Civics Day, which is a great event. You should definitely be involved in with Generation Citizen. And a group was of students. Was OCPA there? They were at the Capitol today, which, and this is why it's interesting to me. I um, We were there. A group of students from Norman were presenting to us, and their, their presentation the title on it said school safety, which immediately makes you think of guns, right? Um, which is what I thought when I walked up. It wasn't really about guns. It was more about safety notifications. So, like, there's not a system at Norman North or many other schools for the administration to push out a message to students via text. Like, the universities all have it. And so they've they've taken upon themselves to approach the administration and be like, hey, we should fix this. And in the administration said, Oh, we, we can notify the faculty and staff. And they're like, yeah, we know we, the students though, like we were off campus for lunch and there was like an active shooter nearby their high school and they tried to get back and everyone was like flipping out because no one knew what was going on. And they couldn't get to school. And they were like, what happened? They're like, why don't you just push a text to us? That is like actually stunning to me that that's not in place. Apparently. Um, so I talked to someone from the insurance department who is kind of involved in this and, and they said, this is a big thing like across the country that at colleges get it. High schools haven't quite clicked yet that there's, they need to just basically add all the students' cell phones or let them sign up. But anyway, it's a simple fix. It'd be a big deal. Um, so anyway, see, while they we're, didn't, they didn't do that when I was in high school, you didn't have cell phones back then. God damn it. <laughs> so they, anyway, so we're standing there and, uh, Dave and Jason, the main guys from OCPA, like walk right by us and kind of like looking at the title knowing their stance on some of these issues, I was just imagining what they might've been thinking as they saw this board. I want, I want to be like, no, come back. It's really like they did a survey of their students and this is a really worthwhile project. And I also wondered why they were there on a Friday when there was like almost no legislators there, right? Like I saw two legislators and they both three, um, and they were like wearing jeans and shirts cause they were there for civics day, not for, and I just thought well, this is interesting. So I'm sure there's budget talks going on and, I have a hunch they were somehow involved in that. So Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Anyway, so they're opposed to that, as you <laughs> might imagine. Um, and then, uh, and then, lastly, special counsel. We, before we move on from that too quickly, just so what they are opposed to, we talked about on the show is that there is a a initiative petition. There's uh, the attempt to have an initiative petition, a ballot measure put on the 2020 ballot, either at the statewide primary or the general election, that would um, fully expand Medicaid as envisioned under the ACA mm -hmm. uh, from 2009-2010, uh, which Oklahoma has not yet done. This is a lawsuit that alleges essentially that this initiative petition would be unconstitutional because it delegates power 
to the feds that should be reserved for the uh, for state lawmakers. Ooh. I'm not a. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, as we have discussed on the show ad nauseum. <laughs> but it doesn't does not make any sense to me. <laughs> like, no, but why this, like, I mean, someone's got to challenge it, right? Like we knew this was coming. Yeah, no, I mean, like you you know it's going to happen, but like, I mean, I guess this is the grounds you go with if it's the only grounds that you can find right i also i mean maybe maybe it's perfectly legitimate and the it'll go to the supreme court and they'll it'll be you know nine oh in favor but like mm-hmm. we have nine right mm-hmm. that's the state level yep. yeah yep. um where there's too many i can't i can't keep track of all of them. yeah but uh i don't know it uh we'll see we'll see what happens right uh and then the last article is uh special counsel to investigate allegations against state house member this is in the tulsa world so this is um the article, the headline is a little more salacious. Jonathan is laughing already. I, I want to let the record show I was hesitant that we even include this. but I did not know that. That's <laughs> what happens when I make the agenda, I suppose. Um, but I think because of this, well, last year was a raucous year for uh, um, the least. people getting thrown out for this kind of thing. The track record is not good in the last couple of years. No, but basically it's um, this guy, I forget his name, but he's a... Of uh, a guy who has made allegations like this about other members, a very con- he's a he's not a member of the, member of the legislature. He's a very conservative pundit, I guess. Local pundit. How would you? I don't know if he's a pundit. So he he uh, has a he's he has a newsletter. He's associated somehow with like Oklahoma Tea Party or Oklahomans for Tea Parties yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, and he's and basically al- al- alleging that Chris Kennedy, um inappropriately touched someone. Now you might recognize Kennedy's name. Because he was the one that quite notably last year ran <clears throat> like smear campaigns against the most conservative members of the legislature and at the well, primary. But I, would we say that he ran smear campaigns against them? He ran attack ads, right? I mean, is attack ad a smear, the same as a smear campaign? Right, like if you and I are running against each other and I run an ad criticizing a vote that you made saying that it was bad for your district, All right. that's like an attack ad, but it's not a smear. It is rare right? that we, we're playing reverse roles here. Usually <laughs> I'm the one trying to rein you in a little bit. That's fair. He ran ads in opposition to members of his own caucus, there the most extreme go. members of his own caucus. There it is. And they all lost, which is arguably a good thing for the state because it helped kind of moderate things a bit, bring things together. Um, it did pave the way for a lot of new people. Did it moderate things? Jonathan shakes his head no. I, <laughs> I would say it, on the it, whole... I think, it moderated, yes. I think it moderated rhetoric. I don't know that it changed the outcome of any votes. Well, that's that's very plausible, right? Um, but it, it did result in the... <laughs> it resulted in a lot of super conservative members losing their seats. That's yes, what it resulted that's in. That's exactly right. Um, and... Uh, and just mean this is uh, the 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 person who's kind of leading the charge here. His name is Al Gerhardt. He is... Uh, this is a quote from the Tulsa World. He is a Republican gadfly. Gadfly. I really love the word gadfly. Did, did Barbara write that? Uh, no, this was uh, Randy. Randy. Oh. Randy Krebiel. Krebiel? Krebiel? Krebiel. I'm know not sure, but it's. I think he's actually based in Oklahoma City, isn't he? And then they publish both places. Yes. Uh, but it says that uh, Gerhardt is known for his bombastic attacks on Republicans that he deems insufficiently conservative. I love a journalist with a good grasp on yes. the English language. Um, and, and apparently, you know, I think it is important for us to, like, add the context here, like... Uh, apparently, Mr. Gerhardt and Representative Kennedy have kind of been going toe to toe over a number of issues for for several years, and um, Mr. Gerhardt is he has a reputation for publicizing these sorts of accusations mm-hmm. uh, that are later found not to have any merit to them. Now, I also think it is important to say that it is 
always important that anytime accusations like this are made, um, because this is an accusation of like inappropriate kind of touching, like which would be sexual, you know, misconduct. Right. right. We don't want to dismiss it. Yeah. You don't. You don't say, "Oh no, that's implausible." So because maybe it's implausible, or we think it's implausible, we just say it's not worth it. You take it seriously and you investigate it. But right. We hope to God it's not true. Right. That. But it like this particular person has kind of publicized accusations like this in the past that have proven not to have any right. I would say if true, horrible and. Um, I, I hope that a, a more reputable source comes out with information. Right. And this is like, there's so much, like that's one of the reasons, I mean, it, it's, it's in the Tulsa world, which is like one of the major newspapers and it's a member of the house leadership. So it's probably an important thing to talk about. But part of me is just like, like, I don't even want to talk about this because there's like so many, yeah. like, like there's you, like after everything you say, there has to be like, but, and, and then after yeah. that, like, but also, and remember <laughs> like, that's fair. You know, well, in hindsight, I would have not have included it. That's fine. Maybe next time we'll coordinate about this. <laughs> we should talk before we do the we show. Should, we sat here for. <laughs> we shouldn't just. We shouldn't just show up and turn the mic on. We Scott and I talk all day, every day about this stuff, and then every week, right before we record the episode, we're like, "Oh shoot, did you make an agenda for this? One of us got to put this together." We literally just start texting. Like sometimes we start texting like five forty-five in the morning. Yeah. it's usually a little later than yeah. that. But you've been to the gym lately, so. Haven't been texting. Freaking Jim. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to a new segment for this year. That's right, everybody. It's Budget Watch 2019. Mo money, mo problems. The mo money, mo problems, which is uh, not a phrase you hear around Oklahoma very often. Very few of us have more money. Um, the state has a tiny bit extra money this year, which is unusual. Um, and so uh, this week, the last two weeks, I guess, right, Scott, there's been uh, a number of news stories. So I've kind of put these in uh, chronological order for the development. So we've started to see more stories about the budget. In years past, uh, two years ago, we had a big budget shortfall. And I did a video every uh, Facebook Live every day wearing a life vest in the parking lot of the Capitol to give updates because there were press conferences, like dueling pressers every single day about budget stuff. That's when Governor Fallon had her whiteboard with, she wrote the big zero on there. Did you get a lot of views on this? Yeah, I actually did. It was pretty good. <laughs> nice. Um, thought I was going to slam you there, but he's no. like, yeah, yeah no, I did, bro. Thanks. That's why we're here today. <laughs> Those Facebook Live videos. Um, and so uh, this year, though, because we have, we're not in a budget shortfall, we've got a little extra change in our pocket rattling around. About $450 million. Right, which is Sounds like a lot of money, but it's really not. It doesn't, change. doesn't go far in the state budget. Um, anyway, so starting back at the beginning of this month, uh, May 2nd, Nondoc had an article uh, that first started talking about the teacher pay raise. Um, and then we've... Um, yeah, so this is interesting since it's compromise on teacher pay raise floated in the OK Ledge. And this is interesting. I would like to ask Trace like about the headline because I was reading it and thinking like, I see a lot of different ideas, but which who's floating the who's floating the compromise? It seems like there's a lot of people that still are yeah. not on the same page. Right. And so I think it may behoove us to just kind of move forward in these articles. We'll post all of these on our blog that goes along with this episode. So if you want to read that, Jonathan, you can catch up on all of these. I, I think that I think it's enough to say that like the co- the context is where the disagreement is. Okay, and this extra money that we have, the governor ran on promising a twelve hundred dollar across the board pay raise for mm-hmm. teachers in order to keep the 
teacher pay in Oklahoma like at or near the top of the region. So that's right. Letter A, right? Next yeah. thing, uh, number two after letter A, <laughs> right, <laughs> is uh, is that the governor also ran on a promise to put two hundred million dollars of that extra four hundred and fifty ish, four hundred seventy million. Right. Into the savings account, right? right? So, and then the pay raise itself is like seventy million bucks, yeah, right? right? So that's two seventy. Um, however, teachers and particularly the Senate, right, uh, lawmakers in the Senate want to see a lot more money put into the state education. Uh, funding formula to get dollars into the classrooms mm-hmm. and the article in non-doc talks about they are basically floating 200 200 million dollars going into the funding formula um for individual districts to spend kind of however they want right and that adds up to 470 million dollars but that would mean that that's where all the extra money right and you're goes. gonna have public employees who want raises pitching a fit you're gonna have you know Roads and bridges, like yeah. literally every mental health, so higher ed. They've right. also promised higher ed would get more money. Right. Well, and it's not even that they promise these things. There are some places that like they are obligated to spend some of that money. Right. right. That's true. It's like, not. It's, it's not, not even just that like they want to give it to everybody. It's there. Are some places where that money has to go. Right. So, essentially, that's kind of where the disagreement has been. Right. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, snipping, sniping, sniping, yes. sniping. Uh, over that yeah so i think um so we've got articles that we'll post on there from may 2nd may 8th may another one from may 8th um and then today may 10th um so i think two things that are worthwhile pointing out one was yesterday um or no excuse me wednesday on may 8th uh news nine had an article and i think many people saw aaron brobeck's tweet that said the governor who ran on transparency is running away from us when asked questions about transparency and indeed uh, the video on this is Brobeck in the Capitol. After, so there was a big meeting. It was great. Um, so they had a they had a committee meeting, right? And it was a, a confirmation. No, no, it was confirmation with yeah Mazzie? for the budget chair. Yeah, so the budget or chair, the, the budget the secretary, secretary. Yeah, so Mike Mazzie, former state senator, knowledgeable guy about the budget, is in his confirmation hearing, and it got a little tense. And so the Senate um, chair of appropriations and budget, who chairs that committee. Uh, is what the confirmation committee was like gaveling gavel like, gavel gavel yeah <laughs> it was like you you will respect the chair and that was a very british order right. order <laughs> look roger thompson has an accent but it does not sound it's like not, that it's a different not south wales it's more <laughs> it's uh, and so he it's a different south different south uh the, more more the dirty south no not that south either wow he's never going to come on the show now he might. <laughs> he just won't listen to past episodes. <laughs> anyway, what is, is the Dirty South like Georgia? Alabama? Atlanta, I don't, I don't right? know what the Dirty South is. This is why three white guys shouldn't be on a podcast. This is exactly... Apologies to JB. <laughs> Jonathan's just sitting here just like, I don't know what's happening right That's now. exactly right. So anyway, uh, so Senator Thompson was like, you will respect the chair. And it got... It was like awkwardly tense. Everyone's like, well, I don't... He's, I just want to answer the question. Well, And, and then it... So they, they broke for lunch... To come back in the afternoon, they never came back. They just canceled the meeting. The governor went to Senator Treat's office, knocked on the door. Nobody answered, so they left. And then later came back and had a closed door meeting um, in Senator Treat's office. And then when they left, Broback was like waiting to pounce and was like, "Governor, like I got a question." And the governor was like, just short of jogging, like really rushing down the stairwell. And so Broback had the presence of mind to like pull out his phone and like 
take a picture of him as he like it was darted. A, it, was zol- it was solid. Governor Fallon did not move that quickly. Um, it was uh, he really was jumping out of there. Wow, you're just making friends all across the. Uh, that's not a <laughs> judgy statement. She literally did not move that quickly. It's hard to run in heels. Well, that's true, and I know she had some uh, like back issues, I think. And so, anyway, I we're think not it's, all we're not all sprinters, Scott. Uh, I'm. I am we dwarf cl- some natural sprinters. I am clearly <laughs> not a sprinter for anyone who has ever seen or met me. Um, but uh, I I think that the the context here, like, why was this hearing so? cantankerous and what's the question Ooh. one of the things that has you like that cantankerous mm-hmm. bombastic gadfly mm-hmm. indeed yeah so um one of the things that what one of the things that's at issue here is as we have talked about ad nauseum the governor has been given significantly more authority to appoint the heads of agencies as we have also talked about ad nauseum he has said that one of the things he intends to do is when he can appoint the heads of agencies and appoint a majority of governing boards he is not going to allow agency heads to just release their budget without first clearing it through his office, uh, right? right? He right. can't. They, so that you know, so the the head of Department of Corrections can't put out a budget asking for a billion and a half dollar increase in funding unless the governor has like signed off on that budget proposal. Well, what seems to be the case is that that has taken a step further. And again, we're not in these hearings. Um, we try to watch them online when we can, like all the cool kids. But what what seems to be happening is that the governor has actually allegedly um, directed his budget office and agency personnel not to provide information to the legislature. Right. He is saying, like he's, and he's on record saying, when we are negotiating these budget numbers, there are some pieces of information that are going to need to be kept like Secret. confidentially well, confidential there's a and the, legis- and, the, and the legislature's response to that is like uh the hell there is <laughs> excuse excuse me and i think this is you know you know we're talking um bef- before the show for all of his uh you know success in getting uh, many of his many parts of his agenda passed thus far this is i think one of the f- one of the first maybe not one of the first the most significant instance we've seen so far of the governor kind of running into the reality that he, while he wants to, while I think maybe he sees himself as functioning or he is functionally the CEO of the state being the CEO of a government is different is a way different animal than being the CEO Mm -hmm. of your own privately held company. Right. Like wish I had a, Tom Petty's it's good to be the king plane right right now. <laughs> like as we have talked about like he's learning the legislature does not work for the governor and just because they're on the same party just because they are of the same party and may share many of the same goals that does not mean that their interests always align right right and one of the things that is critical to getting anything done in politics is trying to find out how your interests line up with the interests of other people and what you can do to kind of mutually serve those interests moving forward mm-hmm. um and I think that if the governor thinks he is going to um, try and keep these budget numbers from the appropriators, he's going to like, right? I mean, to, like this is, I yeah. guess the best private sector analogy I can come up with is like, you're going to the bank, like asking for funding and the bank says, okay, well, show me like your business plan. Nah, you don't know. Right. You don't, like you don't need, you don't need to see the details of my business plan. Right. I just need you to fund me at this level. Thank to, you. To quote the uh, the nominated uh, budget secretary Mike Mazzi, some numbers have to be kept from lawmakers during negotiations. Yeah, I read that sentence and I was like, <laughs> "Are you like seriously?" Oh, oh. 
And so um, many news stories said the honeymoon's over. Like the legislature and the governor have gotten long and played nice, but now it's like, uh, now it's over. Just, I, I was actually texting with some legislators about this, and the phrase was sent back to me like, yeah, the well, slightly more colorful language, but right. the honeymoon is over. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think we talked about this last week. I think that a lot of the governor's vetoes, so he's vetoed a bunch of task forces and stuff because he wants to be the one to set up the task forces. And in fact, he was set to like veto a task force in which he was given nominating power, but he misunderstood. And uh, and so that's been a point of contention where it's like, oh, okay, well, the, they gave him all the big agencies and then he thought he might also get all the small things as well because he wants to be the big boss, right? And I get that. There's there's something to be said for consolidation of power and and um, decision making prowess, right? Um, but this is not a monarchy. Um, this is a, a democracy, and that sometimes is very slow and difficult. So here's I'm gonna please jump, jump in, in, Jonathan. Dive, dive, dive okay. in. Okay. So I've been thinking through this, and you guys can just shut this down and let's fix Dodson if that's where we need to take Ooh, this. That's a therapeutic. But okay. Right now, lobbyists have controlled or, or at least very involved in most state legislators and policies that are being passed, right? Right. And the one area that they haven't touched so far are mayors. Right. right? It's nonpartisan. It, it's, it's nonpartisan. Usually it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. It's very much. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is it's amazing to me that we as a state actually don't have basically a Congress of mayors where mayors are coming together and they're actually working on policy issues that they think would benefit them that the state can actually play a role in. Right. And so if you actually pulled mayors together and you you know you could divide it by urban mayors and suburban or rural mayors right. or however you want to do that. But how freeing would it be if you are trying to dictate policy and you have a group of people who are pretty much just telling you this is what we need as nonpartisan right. elected officials? I think that could actually carry a lot of power and weight as you're trying to actually push things forward as a state. I love this is, idea. Is that a, is there like a, is there like a model for that? Is other, do other states do that or would this be a, it, like a it's, novel it's thing? It's been in my head for a while. I actually changed in um, the world right here on the show. No I, uh, I emailed our chief of staff, Steve, uh, to just say, yeah, yeah, just to say, Hey, I think really if you took, and it, what's unique in our current history is that typically Tulsa and Oklahoma city have been viewed as kind mm-hmm. of competing cities, but it, it, it was birthed out of the ideas. Like the most brilliant thing that Dallas did was they actually attached themselves to Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And so any numbers you pull, even though those cities are like, if you try to drive them, it could be an hour and a half, right? right? Oh, right. Easily. Like you can easily get to Tulsa faster than you can. And we and the we, culture of the two cities is totally different. They too. are. And, and like where Oklahoma City and, and, and Tulsa are actually becoming more and more alike in our values mm-hmm. and, and what we care about. And so we actually should be like, Otol or right. whatever, right. Uh, whatever uh, right. the uh, slang is. But then I started thinking about, well, actually, mayors of smaller towns have big issues yeah. that their legislators are not actually representing right. as a whole. And so if you had Tulsa and Oklahoma City take the lead, if you had Mayor Bynum and Mayor Holt, and they push this idea to say, hey, every year we're going to meet and we're going to convene and we're going to basically try to represent what we need as a state to push forward – that would be like awesome as a legislator because yeah. I'd be like, hey, we've already got people right. pushing what you know is coming from this. Well, and I like it because um, 
if enough mayors organized, right, and had a had a a message that was like kind of coalesced around a, you know a couple of points, then they would have some power, right? They've got some influence. Yes, they could push for it because what we often see, and this may be where you're going to go, is that often we do see legislature legislation that is trying to overrule cities, right? Which and and I'm surprised there's not more pushback, right? Like, right. Um, in some ways, I mean, what if we had like a, a rebellious city that was just like, I see your law and I don't care. Right. We're going to raise the minimum wage anyway and like try to do something. We're going to ban, what was the thing they banned? Plastic containers, right? Yeah, plastic containers. And they put a ban on bans. <clears throat> and so like, well, if it was me, if I was mayor, like I would be trying to get, you know, here in Oklahoma City, you get Bethany, War Acres, Forest Park, Midwest City, Dell City, all these, you know, um, municipalities to pool our influence and then go back and say, hey, we got a bone to pick with you guys. That is the point A I was going to make, but uh, Roman numeral three that I was going to make <laughs> yeah. was that um, I think one thing that would be, it would be real, I think it'd be really interesting, but I think one one thing that would be, it would be very interesting, but could be potentially, I don't even want to say difficult to overcome. Maybe interesting is just the best word because I think it's, I think, you might run into. I know. Banging on the desk all day. That was my first. That was my first party foul. <laughs> um, would be interesting to see, like, what Mayor Holt and the mayor of, say, like, Watonga, mm-hmm. right? Like, what policies would they both want to push for? And you, Jonathan, Jonathan has an answer because in my head, I would wonder, or at least in my head, it seems like they might, they might see the same, maybe see some of the same problems, or and have totally different solutions or they might actually see very mm-hmm. different different kinds of problems. What what's your Yeah, so so one of the things I've been talking with some some different groups that uh one uh he was born in Oklahoma and now lives in uh, uh Palo Alto. And one of the things he was talking about is one of the he teaches at Stanford and one of the things he was saying is one of the number one reasons why uh, young people are leaving from small cities right now or small towns, rural towns is actually because of the internet infrastructure. If you think oh, about right. it, if you're a kid yeah. and like you're trying to game or you're trying to get a job for internet or anything and you're on like Wi-Fi or, you know, mm-hmm. dial up or, you right. know, you know, like whatever the, the terrible system is there, you would be forced to go into a city mm-hmm. because of the fact that you, you actually can't do your job or you can't do what you love or you can't do your hobby. Right. But Oklahoma city one of the things we've been fighting for is infrastructure of a different kind. Mm-hmm. It's an infrastructure of um, getting people to be able to move around the city that don't have a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So infrastructure is the overriding issue, issue, but they see them totally different. And so by whether you divide them into like caucuses or something where you have like different groups, maybe it's based on like city or town size or mayor right. size of the, of the population or however it is, it allows them to create a voice. And so maybe we're, we have an infrastructure bill that we're going to pass, but it's treating it. It's, it's treating the infrastructure dollars differently based upon the needs of the community. Right. And I think mayors are the only one that actually could speak to that in a way that wasn't, uh, you know, dictated by, mm-hmm policy mm-hmm. or, or, or money or whatever. That's, we could move that's like super to, interesting. I was before, before you started to say, can we just end budget watch and say like Stitt says he's going to announce a budget next week. Be on the lookout for that. That's in the Tulsa world. And now we are like, cause I think we're like solidly into our next topic now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the next topic. Yeah. Fees, I want money. 
I worked away both of our found a way to work in both those songs. Nice, nice. But you were going to say because our next topic was talking with Jonathan about we were going to talk about safe streets specifically, but I think this kind of plays right into it. Yeah, so I think it's a good what transition. Were you, what were you? Oh, I was going to say, um, son of a gun. What was I going to say? Doesn't matter now. Infrastructure. It looks different. Mayors the ones that can really speak to that. They both need infrastructure, but like Wi-Fi versus like bike infrastructure. This is true. What? I don't. I've, I've totally it's lost. Really, my it's thought. gone. It'll come back. Oh, okay. Um. So our next guest is uh, Jonathan Dodson, who's been chiming in with very well-informed and um, interesting thoughts. I'd like to visit about more later. Oh, it came back. I knew I was gonna. There I it knew it'd come back. There it is. My thought was the other option is to is to pass laws to change our legislature to be more like Nebraska, where they have like a nonpartisan primary, open primary system. So you vote on the person, not on the party. What a raucous idea. Anyway, all right, so back to our discussion at hand. Uh, Jonathan Dodson joins us. Jonathan, you're with Pivot Project, Pivot Group. What's the name? Does it matter? Pivot Project. Pivot it does. Project? Yeah, no, okay. it does. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about it. Uh, so Jonathan and I have known each other for a number of years, but really started to get to know each other once Let's Fix This started. Um, and so I, we used to both go to Elemental Coffee almost every morning, and I would see Jonathan on the phone pacing outside and I was like who is that guy he's here every day on the phone and then one day we realized we like just ran in the same circles um, and so Jonathan someone as someone else who is trying to change your world the local world for the better in a couple of ways and so um, I think let's start uh, we've got about 20 minutes left so maybe the first 10 minutes let's talk about safe streets and then we'll pivot uh-huh, and then talk about um, uh, uh, investing in communities that have not been invested in how's that sound sounds great all right so um last this week um you hosted an event you organized an event that was a it was more than a bike ride but it was a bike ride um from stone cloud brewing over on classen up classen over to the tower theater tell us what that was about yeah so about three and a half years ago we met with a, I was actually trying to cross this class in with my kids and we made it across without getting hit, which always feels like a miracle. And then we were in at that point, it was, I think, uh, American Fidelity's uh, parking lot on a Saturday morning. And we had a security cop threaten uh, us because he said we were on private property. And so at that point, I just about lost <laughs> all my cool. And I thought this is a huge problem in general. And at that point, I was primarily thinking about Classen in terms of just trying to make it safe. If I could just make Classen safe, then I'm good. You know, my family's good. My neighbors are good. And, right. and so we we did a bunch of we engaged OU, Oklahoma City, uh, the city of Oklahoma City, and uh, ULI. We did a extensive report and basically handed off to the city and said everybody agrees these are the things we can do. And then I walked away. And uh, didn't do anything in follow. Um, and really, we thought it was going to be part of a complete street of the last previous bond issuance that was included. Right. We were told this street would have, and a complete street is something that's got sidewalks and protected bike lanes and uh, transit, public transit for, for people. And so I thought, you know, it had been communicated to us that we were, were going to get it. And then um, I was actually traveling and I got the news that Chad Epley, who's um, kind of a beloved mm-hmm. chef, had been hit at 16th and Classen, which is where we walked across to show them how dangerous that intersection was. And so I took that personally in the sense of saying, 
I quit. I should have kept fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, and had I been faithful to push forward, maybe we wouldn't have lost his life. And so, um, I re-engaged and really tried to figure out what can we do. And so, you know, there's this idea of, um, if you make a street good for an eight year old and an 80 year old, then you make it good for everybody. Right. And, and really Oklahoma city's policy has been, if we can create a street that's like quasi safe for a 20 year old reckless hipster (laughs) on a bike, then we've done enough. Right. And so, um, that, that does not include a lot of people in our city. And so, um, we decided one to do an event at the tower to talk about how do you actually get involved now? How do we go from just talking about things to actually doing things? And so that was step one. And then step two is to say, how can we really currently in Oklahoma city, they don't give anyone, we're the largest geographic city in the world that doesn't have a protected bike lane. So say that, say that again, largest geographic city in the world that doesn't have a protected bike lane. And can you, for Maybe a lot of people listening will know, but can you define a protected bike lane? Because I think some people are listening and saying, well, what about like Chartel or what about this new bike lane that's on Western now between 23rd and 16th? <laughs> like, what is a protected bike lane? Yeah, so a protected bike lane is essentially um, it. there is some barrier that separates the cyclist from the automobile. And so um, what that does is that opens up cycling opportunities mm-hmm. to someone who's eight years old and eight, 80 years old. I wouldn't let my eight-year-old or 10-year-old ride on Western, no. even though there's a bike lane there, because I've been on that street myself as, a, as an adult, and I am scared to death. Yeah. And so you're talking about like, and, and I this is a rhetorical question because I've seen pictures and looked, but you're talking about a physical, ideally like immovable barrier. Like, like there's like a wall between the planters. Cars. Planters are like yeah. a really great way right. to do it. There's there's a lot of different ways. You know, like terrible is like bollards or you know like right. something right. like that. Right. But there's a lot of cities. You know, Chicago just did a study and said a protected bike lane costs about two hundred thousand dollars a mile. And so when you think about the fact that we spend one hundred and thirty million dollars on a streetcar, and I've been given numbers, and I no one has has fought me on this, and I would love to hear more. But I've heard we're subsidizing. Uh, every rider about $30 a ride on the streetcar. And so when you look at something that goes six miles and is really built for the kind of uh, businessman of Oklahoma city, you could do 380 plus protected miles of bike lanes in our city. And you think about what that would do. um, We always talk about the cost of living in our city and how cheap it is. But what happens is we never actually roll in the cost of having to own a car. Mm-hmm. And so if cost of owning a car is $8,000 an individual, $12,000 a family, we start to creep up real close to Seattle in terms of the cost of what it, it, it you know, it costs a family to live here. Mm-hmm. And, um, we don't have the public amenities that Seattle has, right. or, you know, right. I mean, we it pretty, makes the divide yeah. even wider. Yeah, when it you, does. When you look at it. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, to me, and then, you know, what we found in that was, I just emailed uh, Councilman uh, Hammond and said, hey, Mm -hmm. would you help me understand how many people have died being struck by a vehicle? And so uh, Deputy Balderrama helped pull that information. We had 78 people in three years since we initially talked about trying to make streets safe again. Which is Um, like the highest number, right? We're like the most dangerous city in the world to ride uh, or walk. And so... um, what I always say is if like we're in the middle of the Bible belt, right? Like regardless of your religious beliefs, 
everyone agrees. <laughs> There's a church on every corner. And so if, if a church were to say, like, Christian dogma is to take care of the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, and the pilgrim, we're the worst at that of every state in the country. Right. And so to me, it's it's like, okay, I if that's if that's who we say we are, right, then let's actually go take care of the orphan and the widow, and the sojourner and the pilgrim and the person who can't afford to buy a car and has to ride a motorized wheelchair down class and right. like that's you know, that's essentially a death sentence. Right. So that's um, so Scott and I both um live off of twenty third ish, right? So you're close to twenty third in class and I'm close to twenty third in May. And so drive it every day, right? And a, a bajillion times. And I've ridden the bus a whole bunch. I, I ride a bike when I can. Um, and um, it, even for me, like someone who I, I would like to believe pays attention to this and cares about this stuff, um, eyes are opened when like, like lately I've noticed that there are a number of, um, of visually impaired, like blind Oklahomans um, who ride the bus, right? Because they obviously can't drive. And and I've, so I noticed one because of the cane and so I've started paying attention and there's a whole bunch. And then, and so they're like waiting for the bus and having waited at those same bus stations, right? So like at 23rd and Villa was the nearest stop to me. And so I'd walk over and cut through the Shepherd Mall parking lot because that was safer than walking on the sidewalk that is right on the edge of the street. And then I have to like dodge traffic to get across 23rd to the bus stop. And then it's, you're on a, a stone bench that is at an angle like on a the curb is two inches tall right there like you're right next to traffic and people are whizzing by coming down a hill and so even standing there and i'm like oh this is i feel unsafe just standing here waiting for the bus to come uh, because if someone hits a rock and that rock pumps up if they swerve you know all the things that can happen and i can see them coming and i think about my neighbors who can't um and that was a thing that so I've like started like driving extra slow and like trying to impede traffic to a degree of just like, I just want to, can we all just slow down like five miles an hour just to make it a teensy bit safer for the folks that literally cannot see the harm coming. You know, and that's kind of leads into the next question that I was going to ask you. Does safe streets apply? Like, is it talking specifically about protected bike infrastructure or does it also, like, you know, non-cycling, like pedestrian traffic, you know, uh, folks that are in uh, wheelchairs or, you know, the freaking scooters? Like, how does how do how do all of those groups like play into this? C- as well? Complete streets wrap all of that together, and so um, you know, what's been interesting is the city has essentially said, and and one of the critiques that we've gotten or we've heard is that. Some of the officials at City you know, Hall have said that this is just a really small minority mm-hmm. that is trying to, to generate enough buzz to, to create policy. And so at some point you ask, well, what's really small? Right. Uh, you know, and then um, but the overriding point, and I think this is what I love about what you guys have done. And especially with, you know, let's fix this. It's like. What is a smaller minority? My minority is actually larger right. than the six white men <laughs> who have dictated most policy in Oklahoma for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. And so all, and so well, what does that mean? Well, what what it means is that they actually have a very anemic view of the city, and so I feel bad for them. And so all I'm trying to do is show them the city that actually exists. Mm-hmm. So they miss out on the humanity of getting to experience someone who is walking and needs some help and you get to help them in your days made because they're so grateful. Mm-hmm. I have a story or they're walking 
Because they want to. Uh, with, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And and I think you just answered like what was going to be my, my next question. And it makes me, because I agree with everything you're saying. And I think I like, I this is like what I want for Oklahoma City. Like my wife and I love to travel and we've been fortunate to go, I mean, to all kinds of places. And we love going to places that have great pedestrian and public transportation infrastructure, right? Like we love traveling to places that we've never been and we don't speak the language, but we don't need to drive. We don't need to be able to like read a map in that way because you can take the bus and you can take the subway, you can take the streetcar, whatever. But I think that one of the things that I run into talking about things like this with some people and people that I, people that I am friends with and have loved for a long time in Oklahoma city is I think that I could tell them what you said about 78 people in the last three years. And they would say, well, that's 25 people a year. There's a million people in the metro area. They probably weren't people at paying attention. Cost of doing business. Why do we need to spend all this money on creating an infrastructure that nobody but the hipsters is really going to use, right? And like, I think that you just answered that, like, because that's not true. To like, like it's a, it's a, it's a false view of what life in Oklahoma City is really like. It is, and you think about it, we got 46,000 kids in elementary schools, right, or in, in public schools. Are you telling me that none of them would ride their bikes to school if they actually had a safe way to do it? That's not a minority. Right. That is a very large group of people, and we just, a new stat just came out that only 23% of 16-year-olds are actually getting their driver's license. So 23%, like that's a fascinatingly low number, right. which means... We got 77% of 16-year-olds in the country who are looking to get around in some way other than a vehicle. Who are choosing not to. Who are choosing not to drive. And so to your point exactly, I've been walking every day the last month, and I'm amazed at how terrible it is to walk, but how delightful it is to walk. And I think that's a side that I want to show people. Well, and it's tough. I was thinking about that this week, that in a lot of larger cities, it's a more dense um, and like urban area and so it's stuff like scott you and i live i mean two miles apart um if i was in washington dc walking two miles is no big deal for whatever reason probably because of the infrastructure it feels like a huge burden try to i mean it's literally like less than two miles as the crow flies doing our houses oh, and yeah. i would never consider walking well like 23rd right like i routinely drive to places on 23rd <laughs> if i like right i mean i live at 21st and like i live at 21st a block and a, a block and a half off Classen. Right. If I lived in, I mean, if, I mean, New York, Chicago, like, I mean, it, you just walk. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, I, I mean, it, it, and as I think about it, like the places that I, other than my job, I work absurdly, north. I yeah. work absurdly far away from where I live. But if, if not for that, and I think about all the places that I go routinely, everywhere I go, I could walk to, or in any other city of comparable size, easily take public transit. Yeah, yeah. That's the great thing about empathy, right? Is like empathy is seeing what really exists. And I feel like in Oklahoma City, we have almost a caste system where there's all these people that, because people drive 40 Mm -hmm. miles an hour down the road, they don't see them and so they don't believe they exist. And so uh, whether it's, you know, and Chad highlighted this, I called the Tower Theater after this event happened and I said, I asked to speak with the bar staff. And so Pivot Project, is we own the real estate and then we're a part owner in the operating company. And I said, hey, how, how normal is it for someone in the wait staff industry or food and beverage industry to have to drive home or, or ride their bike home at two o'clock in the right. morning? And she was like, well, if you're a female, 
you can't walk. Right. Right. Like that's not okay. And a lot of us can't afford a car. And so our only option is to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that we ask to serve us. Right. Right. And then, you know, but we have enough money where we can have a car. And so we either Uber, we have, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but we're okay. But then the people that we're asking to actually take care of us, we haven't actually given them a safe way to get home. Right. And to me, that is totally messed up and it should not exist that way. Right. Do you guys have a bike rack at the tower? I would toast you, but uh, I was, I'm empty. You're both empty. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We've actually asked for Spokies to get put in yeah. over there. When Brent Tongo, I don't know if you remember him, he was another co-fellow sure. elemental. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we're on the Spokies route. I have I have asked for um, uh, some kind of structure. What I've loved is that every time I ride my bike there, I just tie it up to the pole. Right. And, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, so, um, two things. One, I think we're going to have to put a pin in the other segment we were going to do, great. but I want to have you and Jill back cool. to talk about that. Um, cause I, that is a, a huge, powerful story and I, I'm so excited to see it and to have a role in, in having it happen. Right. So, um, so we'll just wrap up on our, uh, safe streets conversation here. Um, next Friday. Is bike to work day? Is that correct? It is. Yep. So that's the seventeenth. Um, yep. And then the nineteenth, we're doing a people protected bike lane, and so Ben Knuckles and Sam Day are putting that yeah. on between Sixteenth and Thirteenth Street. And so, um, you know, we'd love for you to to be out. Um, the city continues to try to find um, not everyone at the city. So when I say the city, it's right. very specific groups. Right. Um, you know, we have some really great people within public works and then we have some people in public works that, um, are, are resistant, are resistant, uh, to, you know, they're still operating off of like a suburban model. So right. anyways, to say that, that like in order for them to realize that Classen is the best way to get up North and South, we need one street to show the rest of the city. This is what a good street could be like. Um, so I've this been, will be between 17th and uh, 16th and 13th, 16th and 13th off of class. End. yeah, what we're wanting to meet at McKinley park at 12 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, what we're wanting is we're wanting protected bike lanes and sidewalks from essentially Northwest expressway to Reno. Yes. So, uh, and we've got two council people who are going to fight for that. They're going to fight <laughs> yeah. for it. And, and I'm really grateful for them. Yeah. They, 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 uh, they're, practicing what they preach which yeah. is awesome and we invited both joe beth and james to come on the show today and they both had other things james was teaching and joe beth had another meeting they set um, up meetings as soon as they heard i was going to be on with them. <laughs> <laughs> what's well, funny i, I messaged joe beth and then six minutes later i was sitting like 20 like not even like literally two seats away from her and i was like oh hey sorry i didn't know we'd both be here um sorry you can't make it and it's just that's the way it works in oklahoma city right is that once why you should never burn bridges is because you will run into that person like 15 minutes later and you will need them. And so, or they will need you. Um, yeah, super great. So next Friday, bike to work day, just yep. as a show of support, I'm going to try to do it. It's tough for you, Scott, cause you work a long way. I'm not opposed to it. I just have no <laughs> idea. Like I'm trying to think where like, I couldn't do it the whole way. So I'd have to bike, take the bus and I don't have any idea you where the closest it. bus you stop just is. Leave early. Yes. I could leave at four. Yeah. So when we and did start cleaning, we did the eight o'clock. We Joe did Beth the, went all the way to Memorial from her house. I, I am aware that it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Beth is also in significantly better shape than I am. <laughs> I would suspect. <laughs> when we did the bike ride, uh, we had a police officer who was very friendly, uh, but be like, "Let me give you some police support." Yeah. Um, and he goes, "You realize you picked the worst time of day to do a bike ride, right?" And we did it at three thirty. Right. And what it highlighted to me was that 
that is the general view of Oklahomans right. in regard to biking and walking. Right. It's like you can do it as long as it's like Sunday morning at like nine thirty when right. I don't see you. Right. Other than that, don't do it. Right. Right. So that's nuts. I um so I've got a road bike that um and so I wasn't able to attend the event the other day at the tower, but that evening I got home from work and I rode in solidarity. And so I went from my house and I have to cross twenty third um to get down to nineteenth so I can go over and hit the trail and go down to the river. <clears throat> which is under construction. I didn't know I had to ride through someone's front yard. I was like the one, why is the bike path under construction? Um, but just crossing 23rd, kind of like clip-ins. And so you try not to stop and it's like a terrifying event every time. It's brutal. Uh, but I made it. And then, um, so next Friday I'm going to re- ride my other bike that does not involve clipping my shoes to my pedals. Um, so I can not die and, uh, and ride all the way to work. It's weird. I like I, I like never bike anywhere. And I like I rode my bike to school like every day until I was in fourth grade, and then we moved and I was on the bus. But then, but then even in like junior high and until I could like in junior high until I could drive, like I rode my bike to the Y. I rode my bike to school. Forget like I rode. I mean, I grew up in Edmond in the nineties, mm-hmm. but like I rode my bike like all over the place. I think know? I rode to your house when we when we used to record at your house. I rode there uh, one time. Yeah, yeah, you did right, and like. And it's, I don't know, I don't, other than being like fat, I don't know why I like never <laughs> like ride my bike anywhere. Um, and I should, I should. All more. right. All right. Well, um, Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys. We will have you back very soon. I will email you and Jill and we'll get this, make this happen. Um, one quick announcement um, as we, as we roll out of here uh, next Wednesday, the 15th at the tower theater, um, we're having our next West Wing Weekly Watch Party. Doors at 6, show will start at 7, and then at 8, immediately following the show, we're going to have a panel discussion um, with uh, with Steve Hill, who's the uh, chief of staff to the mayor, has been chief of staff to the mayor since 2010. He'll be there, as well as Donnell Harder, who is the deputy secretary of state for Governor Stitt, and his chief spokesperson. She also was uh, deputy campaign manager for Governor Stitt, so she's been essentially his right one of his right-hand people um, since the campaign. We're going to visit with them about what that's like to be the right-hand person, to be in leadership, um, and, to, and to interact with like a chief executive for the city or the state. Super exciting. It's a great episode. We're going to watch Let Bartlett Be Bartlett, which is maybe my favorite episode. Scott turned his microphone off. He's trying to talk. It's not my favorite, but it's one of the greats. One of the greats. All right, on that note, this brings us to the end. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts because that helps others. Invite your friends. Go to letsfixthisok.org slash calendar to get some tickets to that West Wing watch party. And uh, remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.